and just the insane oh, amount you of faded. oh i'm back okay can you see me can you hear me i can hear you i can't see you okay okay well now i can good okay okay (laughs) yeah so they had like a Hello and welcome to Peach Pog. I'm your host Luke Boggs, and surprise, Kyle's not here. We we got rid of him. He's he's done too many interviews lately, and so we're giving him the night off. And so, I am joined by someone else, though. So I have a surprise guest, Helena. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And so I'm very excited my... to do this because we've been trying to schedule this for a couple weeks, and so you know life Sorry. has finally found a way, <laughs> and uh, we are we are together, and so. As was yeah. teased in our 100 Days of Trump episode, we are doing an episode about something we can all unite behind, which is television, and specifically shows about politics. And we're going to hit three main ones. I imagine some other ones might get thrown in, but we're going to talk about The West Wing, House of Cards, and HBO's Veep. So in thinking about this, more and more people have been got, getting engaged in politics. More of my friends I see are talking about politics. And more often than not, the lens of the television shows about politics come up. And more and more, I've seen a lot of my friends turn to the West Wing as like a uh, emotional blanket during the Trump administration and talk about how uh, Jeb Bartlett was such a great president and how the West Wing makes them, you know, be able to survive the the horrible version of our government that we're in. Um, but however, out of all the political shows I've seen, I have found The West Wing to be one of the least factual and the least true um, to not only like the kind of factual details about how politics work, but even just like the goals and the way people operate. And so um, with that, I think let's just begin with the West Wing and air out our, my favorite our thoughts. Show. Yeah, and I I started with my criticisms of the West Wing because I knew it hurt your feelings and it'd get you mad at me. And so, yeah. uh, what what are your thoughts on this show? And please give a rebuttal to my <laughs> hatred of the West Wing. Um. Well, the fact that it's a hatred is upsetting. That that's excessive. Um, it's not a hatred. I mean, it's just a so- firm criticism. So I think part of the reason that I have such a love of West Wing and I think a lot of people who are actually older than myself because a lot of people our age didn't grow up watching it. I actually did grow up watching it. Like it used to be on on Wednesdays on NBC. So I have this really big like nostalgia that goes with it um, with this show, which I think is a lot of the reason why we love the pop culture that we love is because we have these memories with it. Um, but for me, the West Wing is this... I think I, did, I described it to a lot of my friends as West Wing is what you watch when you want to be hopeful about your government and it's how you wish the people in government actually are. You have very charismatic people. They are very well-spoken. They are very, very smart. They care about the people that they are representing. Um, and actually, the start of the show initially when it when Aaron Sorkin first wrote West Wing was never, and West Wing people, fans will know this, was initially never supposed to be about the president. It was always supposed to be about the people and the staff that support the president. So, um, but then um, when Martin Sheen came in, he sort of just like blew everyone away. So slowly as the show progressed, you see more and more of how the president influences the White House. Um, But 
I personally just love this show because you see thing you know you I know who the director of communications is in West Wing because I watch it all the time and it made me engage and it's a smart show every I think every week they that the show is airing they dealt with a different policy issue and um it's not a show you can just like watch if you're watching it for the first time it's not a show you can just turn on in the background and not pay attention you will miss something and I think that's it's like the emblem of what really good tv is because it makes you pay attention yeah, I won't disagree with that because don't get me wrong. I like thoroughly enjoy the West Wing <laughs> and I, you know, find it to be a fun show and anything that Aaron Sorkin has written, I usually really, really enjoy. But more and more as I became critical of the role that it plays in our political discourse, I, I get more and more unhappy with it because the main thing that frustrates me there's two main, like, broad lines of criticism. So the first one for me is its lack of understanding of how the actual political environment of its time was. Because, for example, in the San, you know, Santos-Vinick race that wraps up the show, like, every state would not be contested in the way that they pretend that it would be just because a California Republican was running. Like, that's just not saying. And, and so there's a lot of, like, little examples like that that make the political nerd in me really, really mad, especially because I love elections. Like, no, Vinick is not going to win Illinois. <laughs> Go home. Like, yeah, that's that's a problem for me. But the more important criticism, which I think actually is usually billed as a strength of the show and why a lot of people like it, is the fact that it is, it is a creature of when it came out. Which, you know, again, right. the show is timeless. I'm not going to argue it's not. But in some ways, the reasons why people like it are very dated in when it came out, which is the end of the Bill Clinton administration, and then came into the Bush administration. And so Absolutely. for a lot of people, it's the presidency that uh, America deserved but couldn't have would you know for a lot of it's people aspirational yeah it's aspirational presidency in in that is what people build as because you have bill clinton who in some ways is a lot like jeb bartlett and then in a lot of ways isn't and so i i think there's two interpretations of the show which is when they created it it's sort of you know coming out of the monica Lewinsky scandal like this is the democratic presidency that america deserved where you have this you know very pragmatic governor who comes in and really shakes things up and is a good president has a moral code that most of the country can recognize and get behind and then when bush wins and you know does all the things that we all know bush did then the west wing serves as like this extremely firm contrast rather than you know criticizing a democratic administration that's a couple degrees off from it it's serving as a mirror image of this is what we could have had had we made a, you know, had Florida make a different decision. And this is what we could have had if we elect Democrats. But that rings fundamentally hollow to me because as I watch the show, like Jeb Barley doesn't really push for things that are huge democratic or progressive or liberal. Like whatever definition of Democrats and what Democrats stand for, he doesn't really push anything that's that huge in the direct you know in the direction of what the country needs and so that's that's part of it so and there's I, a lot to I unpack kind of argue to that yeah so um because i've seen that these like there are four shows that i watch on repeat 
um, it's West Wing, Gilmore Girls, Parks and Rec, and The Office. And so I've seen West Wing in its entirety like numerous times. And to counterpoint that, in the beginning of season four, um, it's, it was a two-hour-long episode, and Barla is running for re-election, and he's in Iowa. And Toby ends up sitting down at a table um, with a man who is wondering how he's going to pay for college for his daughter. And that episode is a linchpin for like five more episodes that deal very specifically with education policy um, and like pushing for this education policy numerous, numerous times. Um, there are various instances where they are pushing for arts funding. Um, particularly there's an episode where Toby mentions the NEA funding when he's in a meeting with someone who's like, why should we support the NEA? Which is ironic now because Trump has removed, uh, has has tried to remove funding for the NEA and, um, Corporation for Public Broadcasting. So that includes PBS and NPR. So, I think, I think that argument, in my view of like having seen the show a lot, I don't really, I don't really agree with that because well, I think, <laughs> I think they do push like. I think it's, I think if you're thinking like progressive policies like gay marriage and those kinds of things, maybe not so much, but there are instances where they are dealing with progressive issues like um, women's issues um, in that show, particularly with the character of CJ, who is that fighting voice in the conversation in the west wing right and don't don't get me wrong like jeb bartley is a progressive i don't argue that he's not and like they (laughs) obviously like they take the democratic position on a lot of things however and we'll get into this when we start talking about um house of cards they don't actually take like a transformational view of their role in the presidency like you know, and one, one like, limitation of the show, and you've seen it more than me, so please correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't, oh, it, doesn't it start, <laughs> like, in his, like, second year or, like, third year? It starts in his second year, and he, and his approval rating is down. Like, most right. of the country at the start of the show does not, like, did not vote for this president. And so what this West, what this chief of staff in the West Wing is grappling with is try how do we work with the people that we sort of won against but not really like half of the country voted for someone else and they actually mentioned that in numerous times um but I have a point kind of on that in a little bit so just keep talking yeah so regardless of that like I feel like if there was some like transformational point in the Bartlett presidency like we missed it like maybe he came in and like had this big view of America and all the things that he should do as president and then like Congress like beat him over the head and said no and so he just sort of calmed down but like this reeks to me like very heavily of the thing that I think it was trying to criticize which was the Bill Clinton presidency and you know that the last couple years of Bill Clinton, he was not a bad president. He was doing things that were good. He was, you know, pushing forth democratic values. And when I say democratic, I mean like democratic party values. But he really didn't have a larger vision of like what the country looked like, even though he tried pretty hard because, you know, Bill Clinton always talked about uh, setting up America for the, you know, 21st century. That was his big goal. And it really didn't seem like Bartlett had that. Like, I don't know... Like, if Bartlett was running for president, what he would really say beyond, I support democratic values, like, what's the thing I'm supposed to really get inspired by? And, like, what changes he's going to bring? Because, to me, much of Bartlett's 
presidency and the things that they push are sort of, you know, he's like, you know, Obama's used this analogy before, but like the presidency is like driving an ocean liner, right? And you, as the president, your job is not to turn it around 180 degrees because you'll flip the boat over. Your job is to turn it a couple degrees to the left or right to, you know, get us where we need to go, but not do it in a way that causes irreparable harm to the country. And I kind of feel like Bartlett's presidency is like, we're on this path and we're going to stay on this path. And if anyone tries to push us off, we're going to tell them how stupid they are and say, no, this is the path. So in episode in season five which is a critical episode which is a critical season for west wing fans aaron sorkin actually left the show yes um so that season is kind of odd um for some for lack of a better some some west wing fans just like don't watch it past season four i think they're missing a lot of really great television by doing that but that's i digress Uh, very very quickly i want to agree with that because there's i I know a lot of people that hate like the past aaron sorkin seasons i think the season season five is really rough but if you yeah it has its up and downs it's just trying to figure out how who's steering the ship and that's what happens with every show where their showrunner leaves yeah but if you get past that like the storyline with his ms i think is like excellent and i think they do a really really good job with that and honestly i liked the show more in some of those later seasons because of how well they dealt with that and some other things that they did more than i really thought i could even mm-hmm. though season four is probably my favorite. That's when he's running for re-election, right? Yeah, okay. yeah. So, yeah, season four is when he's running for re-election. So, in season five, there's an episode where they're trying to get a budget. And they have a very... It seems, <laughs> in rewatching the show, the speaker of their house seems to be sort of like a tougher version of like what Paul Ryan like aspires to be and being a tough um, speaker of the house. Um as we all know, Speaker Ryan isn't doing like the greatest of job of navigating that, alas. Um, but the Speaker of the House is like really tough. There's a congressional um, Republican Congress, and Bartlett is grappling with. So like they wanted to do like one or three percent or something on this negotiation in this in this particular episode on the budget, and Bartlett is visited by Mrs. Lanningham, who's just passed away in like three seasons before about like, why isn't he sticking his ground? Why is he letting these people push him around like on what he agreed? Like he's making the strong stance on this budget deal. And so Bartlett kind of has this like reawakening and comes into this budget meeting. And thanks for saying it this time. I think I had to make that little speech the last time around (laughs) or maybe the time before. This is our third CR, our third time coming up short. we got to do better. People aren't paying us to duck the hard choices. You want to run through the details, Angela? An act of Congress. A continuing resolution to extend no later than January 3rd, midnight, to include a reduction by 1%. Excuse me, Mr. President, I'm sorry. There's been a change. I know we talked about a 1% cut. It's going to have to be three. Mr. Speaker, nothing like this was even mentioned, much Hold less... On. Dis- I'm sorry we couldn't get more notice, but we just came from our conference, and I had significant opposition to only 1%. Only 1%? Yes, sir. We had a deal at 1%. But now my members have to go back to their districts for the holidays, explain why we kept the gravy train running with a rising deficit and an economy crying out for tax relief. It's an economic situation that calls for action, not status quo spending. The 3% may sound painful, but it's only for two months. It'll show we're serious. 
What's next? Sir? In two months, 5%? 50? How many rounds do we go, Jeff? I'm just asking. There is no next, sir. I mean, not to get too technical, but this government runs out of money at midnight, and my guys have gone home. This is it. There is no altering this offer, Mr. President. And I said no. Let's be clear, sir. We cannot, we will not vote to keep on footing the bill. You will be held responsible for shutting down the federal government. Then shut it down. And that's how the episode ends. And the whole next two episodes are the Bartlett administration dealing with the fact that, like, the budget, the budget isn't there and that Congress hasn't, and that the government is shut down. And it's because Bartlett has kind of, like, stuck by it. And I know that's not, you're, well, like, that's rolling my point. your eyes. That's my point, though, is that, like, this is, like, if this was in the middle of his reelection campaign, it would be, like, and I shut well, down the government. Over, I'm saying if it was, it's, like, if this was what he was, like, campaigning on, it's, like, and I shut down the government over 1% of things that I want in the budget. And it's just, like, it's not giving me something to believe in. And that's where I get frustrated because what we're supposed, what, what the show says we're supposed to believe in is what i think you've interpreted with it which you've watched it more than me so maybe you're right (laughs) you know maybe i'm wrong and i'm the idiot but um but what i got out of it when i watched through it was that they thought that they proved that they had a better vision through for the country by being snarkier than the other side and making a more demeaning argument of the other side and it's I just don't feel like it actually elevated the discourse as much as it actually caused more division in the discourse, despite being aspirational. Um, and, mm-hmm. it, and it's an interesting thing because it's super subtle because I have a lot of friends that are conservatives that love the show. Right. They love I know, it. It's, and it's yeah, really I interesting agree. because it has an extremely positive view of government and an extremely positive view of what like an expansive active government can do um, by not actually, and this is, this is where my critique really lies. It's not saying government can and should do X. And so that's why you should support a strong government. If, and this is, you know, a, a compliment of it as a show it makes you like these people that do the work of the government and it's sort of like i think a lot of people's opinions you know democrat or republican or whatever is that like well if the government was led by jeb bartlett and josh lyman like i would like that government and cj craig like i would like those people doing things and trust those people do things and it's like I don't think it matters what they're doing. Like, the show could have been about Republicans, and I think a lot of liberals might have had very similar reactions to the show because they like those people and they trust the decisions that they're making. Right. And that's... So, that... Oh. Well, that leads to the question, like, is this show ultimately 
I think the show ultimately is like giving a face to government and whether or not that's an accurate face or not, like West Wing is the, was the first show that kind of put a spotlight on DC and made people like most, like a lot of people have gone into government because of this show, because it made people have a sense of civic duty, like the sense of civic duty and the need to serve and um, the calling to serve in your government and to do well or like to serve your people is a very consistent theme throughout West Wing. And so, yeah, there I, I can agree to a certain extent on like the policy issues and stuff like that. And like maybe it doesn't isn't shows exactly how it is, but at the time, like people who were watching that show who were in government were like, yeah, that's kind of how it works. And I think I, on a different note, when on your Republicans comment, the thing I really love about the West Wing is that the Republican characters in that show, um, particularly in season two with um, Ainsley Hayes, who's my mom's favorite, like, you know, come on character. These the Republican characters aren't seen as stupid. They're not seen as like not smart and they're not seen at they're not portrayed as being like com- like you can't work with them um in some episodes yes but well i was gonna i was cer- gonna point out specifically the republican that runs against bartlett is right is so pretty some, negatively portrayed yes absolutely but in some in some episodes i think in episodes where like the white house has to work with republicans they are portrayed not in such a negative light um, which I appreciate because I think the show could have easily done with could have easily not done that. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know. I just I think what I also love most like all about West Wing is that it's it made you think there's a lot happening in every episode, as I mentioned before, and it deals with a lot of different things. Like there are things that I still reference from that show that are still happening today. Right. And I think that is really that's what makes a good television show is that like it still reverberates in the po- in in the culture. Um, and I think that particularly happens when when West Wing became got on Netflix. Like in college, none of my friends had seen West Wing, and I had all the box sets. And so like now, I think West Wing is even more pertinent in the pop culture because it's been streaming on Netflix, and because as you said, people are using using it as like a emblem in the Trump era. Yeah. Um, because I think they see a government that seems to actually care. And I think that's ultimately why that show is very like reverberant, whether or not they actually like are doing the policies. But in the way that the show is framed, we are said like we are meant to believe that they are doing these things and they do mention it. But I think the show isn't very based on the policy of it necessarily. I think it's very based on the people who do the policy and not necessarily itself. Like, it's a TV show. It's not supposed to be a white paper and to expect it to be anything. And it's also, on your point, like, how would the West Wing be different if it was not on NBC? How did, what was it, what if, if now, what if, if West Wing, as it is, was on, was, was, had always been premiered on a streaming network? That kind of the way like or HBO, you know, like they have different network requirements. And the fact that a TV show like West Wing that was about politics was able to become a successful and win all these Emmys and be critically acclaimed and be beloved on a show like on a thing like NBC that probably I mean, had a budget, I would say, but probably didn't have as much breadth to deal in with these policies. I think we have to give it a little bit more leeway and understanding of the time of what it was a product of, which was network TV. 
Right. That was like a long tangent. Sorry. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it, it's definitely interesting because maybe I'm being overly critical that, you know, the president doesn't have, an, you know, a really solid worldview beyond being a Democrat. And maybe that's maybe that's me being overly critical. But I think with that, let's move on to, as you <laughs> mentioned, streaming services and House of Cards. So with House of Cards, this is by far my favorite show of the three to watch. Um, partially, I'm extremely biased because it's about a Democrat in the South played by Kevin Spacey. And then it's a show that was like started by David Fincher, who's one of my favorite directors. So just like with that setup, I'm going to like the show. Um, it could have you know been about anything. And if it had those people <laughs> attached to it, I would have really liked it. Um, right. However... I think in 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 starting with my criticism of uh, the West Wing, I want to point out how I think House of Cards does a little bit better on two issues. So the first one is the realism thing. Now, House of Cards by far is the most hyperbolic in what happens, as in you have a politician killing people, and you have <laughs> you know spoilers, spoilers. He has uh, his wife become his running mate in the most recent season. Um, so that's a pretty like hyperbolic thing. And while I think that is somewhat unrealistic, obviously, they approach it in the most realistic way possible. So like if it was going to happen and you had to accept that Claire Underwood had to become his running mate, it happens in the most reasonable way and it doesn't feel entirely shoehorned in. And then, you know, like when Peter Russo is running for governor, like they very clearly like know which parts of Pennsylvania are Republican versus Democrat. So on that front, they always seem much, much better than the West Wing. And the West Wing doesn't do a bad job. It's just they do much better. Um, and then the other aspect of it that I really like is... I understand why Frank Underwood does what he does as president far more than I understand why Jeb Bartlett does something. And while you might say it's a crazy policy, I love the idea of America Works in the show, which is, for those of you who have not seen House of Cards or need a refresher, basically Frank Underwood, as president, comes up with a policy that you would take all of the money from the social security net, or at least a lot of it, and you would transfer it into a job program called America Works, where the federal government would give you money to hire people. And that basically, he thought unemployment and poverty was such a big issue that that is what he was going to use the federal government to do. And a lot of people, and I think not incorrectly so, Focus on the fact that Frank Underwood is like a vicious politician and all he cares about is power. And that's what he talks about all the time. But uh, Robert Caro, who's ringing an amazing series on Lyndon Johnson, has one of my favorite lines, which is, power corrupts but also reveals. And I think this is also true for Frank Underwood because it's un unabashedly true that Frank Underwood mm -hmm. has been extremely corrupted by power. But however he still actually does something as president and he, he cares about this policy in a real way because in a lot of ways, it is a politically suicidal policy. He's trying to take money away from the biggest voting demographic, 
retirees and people soon to retire and shift it to younger people who do not vote at the same rates. And for someone who is completely obsessed with power, the fact that is what he does when he has the presidency in his hands, that is not irrelevant. I don't think people give the show enough credit for that because I think that is a really bold thing. And undeniably, he would completely reshape America if that policy was successful. Yeah. However, like, I think that criticism, I think for my end of like criticism, I think, I just don't think that that's like realistic. Like that's not realistic. Um, like that someone would be take, like that the president would take like that drastic of move in order to, I don't know. I just don't see that as a reality. I mean, maybe I'm naive cause like I'm drinking the Bartlett Kool-Aid, I guess. <laughs> but like I, I do like that show a lot too. And kind of on the end how I had seen West Wing a lot and you hadn't seen it. I have only seen House of Cards like every time the season premieres. So like I haven't, I am not as fan of, as huge of like a um, Underwood fan, um, which doesn't mean I don't like the show. But like for me, my criticism of Frank Underwood and like that whole thing, I think you are right. I think he does have policies and like that show was like very specifically about the president and it's not about like the other people it's very much about like what power does to a person and a lot of people will have referred to it as like a Macbeth type of situation um well it's really Richard III too yeah exactly and like a lot of these other plays by Shakespeare that are kind of like emblems of corrupt kings (laughs) um but I do the thing I I describe to people a lot when I kind of like talk about my love of political television is that West Wing is a show you watch when you want to be optimistic about your government and um, a House of Cards is a show you want to watch when you be want to be like kind of cynical about your government because like they're very like 180 of how they represent government. Yeah, and I think that's true. And the people in it too. Yeah, and and we're gonna get to this when we talk about Veep, but I think. House of Cards and Veep are responding to the exact same thing, which is government doesn't work. People are really unhappy with their government, and they're trying to answer the question of, like, why does government seem to not work this way? And so Veep responds to it by saying that these people are incompetent and crazy, (laughs) and House of Cards responds to it by showing a counterexample of the sheer amount of willpower and political maneuvering that it takes to actually get significant things done. And that's what Frank Underwood, I think, is in response to. Like, Frank Underwood is only an interesting character because Congress is currently gridlocked and that he's capable of getting things done. If you were in an environment like the 1960s or 70s where Congress did a lot, then, like, this would be a completely uninteresting show because in an environment where Lyndon Johnson's your president, you're passing these huge transformative uh, legislative proposals. Like Frank Underwood's a fundamentally boring character. Cause you turn on your TV and you see, you know, the president doing that every night um, with this show and with Frank Underwood, it's interesting to me because don't get me wrong. I think America works is like a crazy proposal. <laughs> like I, you know, obviously I don't have a CBO report in front of me of what it would actually do and how it would work. But you know, assuming that the show is correct, that the policy would work. Like I, I don't see 
why we want to live in a country where people couldn't make a proposal like that. And I think that is where my criticism of the West Wing lies, is that the West Wing accepts that you can't do something like that. That, like, trying to push something as big and as insane as America works is unacceptable to the American people. And I'm not saying that's the specific policy that Democrats should go out and push, (laughs) but I'm just saying, like, I would rather live in an America where someone could push for that. And there'd be a real debate for something like that and something on that scale because in a lot of ways, that's what we're seeing in the blowback to from some more left-wing people on Obamacare is that Obamacare was not a huge transformational thing in the way that a lot of people wanted. I still think it's probably the most that could have been done in that moment. But the fact, you know, that they didn't push for the larger policy prescription for a little bit longer and a little bit harder and that they settled so quickly into the framework that they have, which was fundamentally one that, you know, Republicans came up with. Um, I, I find that as a criticism of the, mm. you know, ambition of our politicians. And I think that's also part of the reason why people are so unhappy with politics now is that it is fundamentally unambitious and it is so accepting of the status quo so much. So it's really interesting because what I'm hearing from you is that like you actually see House of Cards as like an aspirational thing in versus, some ways. Yeah, versus how like whereas versus West Wing and how people view that show as being aspirational. Yes. Because you see House of Cards as being aspirational where politicians are taking very big risks and whereas like West Wing is sort of showing politics as like it is rather than like what it should be which is interesting because that's like not how people view it so I think as a way of putting a critical lens on it is that West Wing is showing how government is but with like a strong moral compass because things move slowly whereas House of Cards is aspirational where people are where things get done where a president is like doesn't give any any shits and like it's aspirational because you're seeing someone do something whereas like west wing is takes it a little bit slower um yeah that's why i'm taking it from which is like really interesting because i've never i've never thought about house of cards in being an aspirational way because like the show is so kind of like depressing um right. like it's not a happy show like you don't walk away with like man i'm so glad i saw that like no it like, kind of gives you the creeps um and that's not how West Wing really is. So I that's a really interesting point that you make. Well, the thing is, is that you're not wrong about either point. Whereas the West Wing, you have moral people that respect the limits of the government. Frank Underwood does not. The government yeah, but- is his tool to use for his agenda. And so, like, a lot of the scarier moments for that show, like, in the most recent season, again, like, he uses the NSA to get campaign data, which, as, an, you know, yeah. someone obsessed with elections, like, that is a gold mine of information that our super corrupt politician would use to extremely scary effect. And, like, that is the thing that is weird because it's aspirational but also a um, cautionary tale of the power of the federal government because Frank Underwood believes there is no limit to what he can do 
as the arbiter of the federal government. And that's what makes yeah. him so effective as a politician, but also so terrifying. And those things exactly. are not mutually exclusive. Like, they, they are in symbiosis. And that's yeah, what so makes th- it really scary, but also really interesting. Yeah, so, like, West Wing, then, is, like, showing how, like, I guess, like, a strong moral compass president versus who's, like, surrounded by people who, like, are telling him what to do, whereas, like, Frank Underwood is, like, the president who, like, is started seeing the presidency as, like, a like a throne. Like, I'm the king. And that's a really interesting... I just think that's a really interesting thought process to think about when you're looking at these two shows um, because they are quite polar opposite. But with that argument that you just made, they're kind of along the same line, but they just like teeter slightly differently um, because one is more on the moral compass side, um, showing how government is slow. Like maybe that's the issue is like you're frustrated with West Wing because it's showing how government is slow. Like maybe it doesn't get a lot of things done because that's the reality of it. And then House of Cards is, like, you see things moving very quickly. Um, and also very, like, they, like, they have, like, it just it doesn't take as long for things to move forward. Well, it, the, um, the, the time is definitely significant. But, like, the other part of it is, is that, like, I don't know what Jeb Bartlett's Obamacare is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it was very clear that, because I, I give, you know, a lot of credit to the president you know the former president in that like obama was willing to risk everything on obamacare and like if you asked yourself what did barack obama care about you would be able to easily say obamacare like everybody in the country if they knew who barack obama was and was aware he was president they could tell you that he cared about health care and he risked everything for that i don't know what jeb bartlett's health care is i don't know what his america works mm-hmm. is and that's that's the core of that frustration yeah, that makes total sense. Um, I thought I was going to be more critical of your argument, but I am not so much. <laughs> uh, well, um, yeah. <laughs> the, the other aspect of this show that I want to talk about, since I have given myself an opportunity to talk about it, is I think it is a it's it's a show that non political people could like, and that more artistically inclined people could like because, and I think this is actually getting off of like the political wonk arguments for why the show is really good. The more like artistic reasons I think it's really good is it's about perception. And that's why I really like it is because especially in the first two seasons, but it has other moments, but especially in the first two, it fundamentally understands the anatomy of a scandal in a way other shows have not. So like the ways that Frank Underwood destroys someone, like, yes or no, you might believe that, like, you know, it's a TV show. So, like, Zoe gets famous, like, way too quickly. And Oh, gosh, don't even get me started yeah, on her character. Yeah, exactly. her character. There's a lot of problems <laughs> there. But, like, if you believed that he ha- was as effective as he was in getting stories into the media and into the echo chamber, it plays out the exact way it actually would with, like, things being taken out of context and people reacting to stupidly to things in the moment and all of those things and how important perception is. And so, like, even the asides where Frank breaks the fourth wall, that's aggressively telling you that he is putting on an act and that he's wearing a mask when he's around everybody else, that if they did not put that tool into the show, he would not be able to do that and the show would not be able to highlight because what's really interesting 
is that, and this is an argument that the show is making that I really haven't fully been able to wrap my head around, even though I've watched it so much, is it doesn't make it clear if perception is reality or if perception is not reality, if that matters or not. And that's mm-hmm. the thing I find really interesting because, you know, there's there's some points where he, like, <laughs> just looks at the camera and tells you that you should be paying attention to this because uh, he talks about how Zoe's on the phone with her father and that he's not the same with her that he is with Claire and that she's not the same with him as she is with her dad. And there's all these examples of, like, people having important conversations before art pieces. And mm-hmm. there's all these times where he's talking about perception. And so I think that's really interesting because it sort of highlights how so much of politics is obscured by, you know, our perception. Because, like, we think we know, like, what makes Paul Ryan tick and, like, what he thinks about as a person. And even someone like Trump, who's, like, very stream of consciousness, we don't really know what he's like in private. Like, we don't really know what he thinks about and what's important to him as a person. We only know what he is showing us. And I think that element mm-hmm. of politics is really interesting in that, you know, people like Hillary Clinton were heavily criticized based on the negative perceptions that people had. But everyone who was around her said that she was a great person, that they really liked her, that, you know, there was a lot of really good qualities about her. But for some reason, that perception did not exist and so that element of the show i think really deserves a lot of credit because that's something that i think is absent in pretty much every other real political show that i've watched that it's like not self-aware of that like huge problem in politics that perception is so huge no i think that's a really fair point um and that i just yeah, I'm just agreeing with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the thing the thing that I find interesting is like with the West Wing, like when when they come out with something and like they say like this is what the administration thinks and this is what we did, like the press pretty much you know fights a little bit but accepts that and like the version of of Josh Liming or C J Craig that the press sees or that the viewer sees is exactly the same no matter who's in the room or what the context is like these people are very very constant whereas when you see characters in house of cards like they are very different in different situations and different people around them and that to me is sort of what makes it very interesting that they throw in all of these really like blatant shakespearean references because i think they're trying to make a comparison not just to like the plots and the themes of Shakespeare but like to acting and to art in general and that that is sort of at at a core of this thing and the last thing I'll say on this front that I find very interesting is now I can show how I've nerded out with this show (laughs) is Bo Wilmington, who was the showrunner until this season, so he is now gone, but uh, he actually pretty much inserted himself into the story. So he is very... A lot of people, and even him, have kind of hinted that the character of Thomas Yates, who Frank brings on to write his autobiography, is him. So, like, in this very strange way, like, the showrunner has put himself in the show. And he is also 
obsessed with this whole perception thing that that the image of frank and claire is not the reality of frank and claire and to me i find it very interesting that he put a fellow artist so critically into the show and having such a pivotal role in a lot of what happened over the past two seasons like right at the center of this maelstrom so that's that's Mm -hmm. just a very interesting observation for me yeah i mean for me the biggest like standout episodes that like make me think about west wing in that same way is like the tooth cathedrals episode which is the end of season two when bartlett reveals to the press that he has ms first of all it's one of the most beautiful episodes of television um there's so much to break down with that but um the way in which that like the president grapples with having lied to the country and also the people in his staff not knowing and that that theme kind of runs throughout too into season three when he's running for re-election and realizing there's this palpable sense that like he hasn't apologized right to the people who are around him and how they are sort of grappling with a man that they adore and idolize, but also grappling with the fact that like they're the per- this person lied to them, this person who like they've been fighting for for all these years, like didn't tell them, and like why didn't they tell them? So there's like that moral that there's that aspect in it for a couple of episodes. I mean, also like in terms of like the House of Cards has to be is one. It's much more intense than West Wing or Veep for a lot of reasons. But number two, it's like, it's only 10 or 13 episodes. So like they have to condense everything. Like, like you have to explain like a whole arc in 13 or 14 episodes, which is really hard versus like West Wing, which had like seven seasons and each season is like 22 episodes. There's like different beasts that you can tackle. So like your storylines can't be so drawn out. Um, So you have to be very like quick on them and have a very consistent theme when you're on a streaming show. Um, but that's not, that's not to say that I dislike, like that or anything like that. I just think they're different. Um, but as um, an artistic I, note, I would say it's actually harder to do the West Wing type seasons. Cause I feel like they can get, uh, lost really easily. Cause if we were going to talk about another show, I talk about Mr. Robot, which is an excellent show. Amazing show. It's, good. it's very good. I highly suggest it. Um, and very interesting, just kind of on your point, um, is that the first season was 10 episodes and the second season was like 13, I think. And the last four episodes of the second season drug in a really strange way and almost that like they didn't know how to handle having the extra time. So in a lot of ways, I think a show like Mr. Robot, which by the way, it's third season, it's now 10 episodes, imagine that, and House of Cards, which is, I think is 12 or 13? It's something like I think, that. I think it's 12, because there's the uh, the House of Cards deck of 52 uh, thoughts oh, that's about right. it. But um, I think that length is the only way you can tell a story like those two, which are highly, highly detail-oriented and really um, obsessively drawn out in the details of it because like the specific details of any scene of the west wing don't matter really beyond the writing like the writing is the main important thing like it does not yeah. matter what's on the table in a scene in the west yeah. wing even where in yeah even though it does yeah even though like they were so meticulous and making sure that like the overall office in the west wing 
is is slightly bigger than the Oval Office in the real White House, only because they had to have crews in there. Yeah. But, like, everything like that, like, they're very specific. But I think you're right. Things do get lost when you have a show that's running like that um, for so long. Um, and it's I think it's harder to manage, too, because um, you are kind of just also, like, you're wondering whether or not your sh- she's show gets renewed. So, like, right. you're not sure whether or not those storylines are going to stick around. So you need to sort of, like, wrap them up every season. Um, whereas, like, that's not really the case with, like, House of Cards. Although Mr. Robot's on... on um, USA. Yeah, it's on USA. So, like... But it's also a cable network, so it's a little different. So there's just, like, a lot of things that go into TV. Um, but I, we were talking about this earlier. House of Cards is a very, like, beautifully done show. And... I would argue also that like West Wing is a beautifully done show. And so like ultimately these are just like very interesting shows to watch as just like an artistic view because of the way in which the camera moves around. Um, and that's really interesting. Um, especially like when they have scenes of like DC, it's kind of fun, especially living in DC. You're like, Oh, I've seen that. Um, <laughs> that's so, my house. <laughs> yeah. No, but, um, and I like to, the thing about House of Cards that's been really interesting is I listened to, uh, there's this really great podcast called, um, oh shoot, Song, Song Exploder. It's by Rishi Hirschway, who is also the host of the West Wing podcast that he does with um, Joshua Molina, who played Will Billy on West Wing. But they interviewed the, for his show Song, uh, Song Exploder, he interviewed the composer. Jeff Beale. For House of Cards. Yeah, he interviewed Jeff Beale. And what's really interesting about that is that every season, the theme song for House of Cards is different. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets slightly darker every every season. Um, and that's so, so interesting. Um, and um, yeah, I just wanted to point that yeah. out for people who wanted to nerd out. Yeah, House of Cards has a great soundtrack. Um, and Absolutely. Really, yeah. really good work there. And that's a great podcast. I love that podcast too. Um, and that episode in particular, I think, is one of the better ones just because of like the insane amount of detail that Jeff Beale Yeah, it's really amazing. It. So if you're a House of Cards fan, um, maybe we can link to it in the episode. All right. So I feel like I got to. Um, control the argument of house of cards so there's two (laughs) questions i have for you which is what is your favorite episode since you mentioned your favorite episode of the west wing and that is probably also my favorite episode so we're like in unison there um (laughs) what is your favorite episode of house of cards oh um i really loved the last episode of this last season i rewatched it because i there was so much going on in it Mm -hmm. but I love that last episode in particular because when Claire also turns to look at spoiler alert, sorry, spoiler alert at the very end when Claire is in the room and they both turn and just face the camera and then the season ends. I just think it's one of the most like amazing episodes of TV. Like there's like a lot going on in it and I real and I love, um, I, what is it? There's, there's the episode where, um stamper is that his name yeah the chief doug of staff. stamper yeah so he's also okay everyone's like who's your favorite character on house of cards he's my favorite ter- character on house of cards um not because he's a great person i think because he's one of the most complex characters i have ever seen on television yeah i i firmly and, agree with that and doug the is actor extremely who plays well-written. him which yeah the actor who plays him whose name just right now escapes me is plays that role so well um and, because, and like, I, I, I I, every wanna... episode that focuses on dog particularly i love yeah um 
even though like he's kind of he's like insanely crazy right and with the things he does well the two things about house of cards that i found really interesting is that people don't hate peter russo and people like fundamentally feel sorry for him because he is like awful person and he's a like a pretty bad dad uh (laughs) and then that people also don't like doug and i i mean that people do like doug and i think that is because of how well those characters are working and how like the amazing performances that they give because it would be super easy to hate that character on paper uh especially like considering how creepy he is at times but like he's so creepy yeah but it's just like he makes that character sympathetic because of all the insane things that he's been through. It's just, it's very impressive. The work that mm-hmm. they do. Um, yeah. so that's, a, so th- that's a great episode. Uh, I always have a soft spot for, uh, season one, episode three, when he goes down to Gaffney, that is a good episode. That's a good one. That's yeah. a very good one. Um, and then, uh, really, yeah, all, all, I, I, it's hard for me to pick a favorite one because I like a lot of them. Uh, the last thing I will say before I ask my final House of Cards question is <laughs> Frank did 9-11. That is what I think we get out of the last episode of the last season. Um, yeah. Because I have a feeling that he's going to uh, start using the federal government in that way uh, as well. Um, so that will be fun to watch. And then... Yeah, um, no, no, I wanted to say one more thing. Um, we were talking about like favorite West Wing episodes, but... I have a couple favorite West Wing episodes. The Isaac and Ishmael episode in season three, it's my favorite. Um, and then um, I really love, um, uh, it's like, it's in, um, any of the Ainsley episodes are really good. Um, and two cathedrals. Anyway. Yeah, my absolute on. favorite one is, and you probably know the name of it, but I can't remember, is the one where he orders the assassination of that yeah, political... Yeah, Kumar. Yeah, Kumar. And then he also, like, has his showdown with his presidential candidate uh, opponent. Yeah. And basically just like, screw you, man. Like, you're... you're, uh, I'm, I'm in this thing now. I'm gonna fight you. And like that. That <laughs> yeah, I very liked good. a lot. Yeah. Um, okay, now you're So th- my last question, question is, what is your, like, biggest criticism of the show just besides like it being cynical and being dark and a little outlandish at times. So I, okay. My biggest criticism of, um, house of cards is how it treats journalists, particularly female journalists. Like, first of all, the, I hate that house of cards in the first season use that trope that women journalists, politically women, political women journalists, like only get their stories because they sleep their way to the top. I really hate that. They use that as like another trope, um, to move their story in line because it's a thing that a lot of women in journalism and a lot of women in politics or any kind of thing face every single day is that like oh you got the story oh well you must have like slept your way to top and I think that them using that trope it does such a disservice to great political um, political um, journalists who are women and so that was like my biggest thing. So like when he killed Zoe, I was like totally fine with it. Cause I thought she was a terrible character. Um, and I just don't like the way in which the media is perceived in that. Um, although there's, I think it's in season two and three, there is the one woman journalist who kind of shepherds that. Um, and she kind of disappears, I think in the last season, but like definitely like my biggest criticism of house of cards is the way in which it treats the women journalists in it just because I think that that is just it's just lazy like don't use that trope and I think it is just not it just really makes me mad that it continues this perpetuated idea of 
that women journalists like sleep their way to the top and that women sleep their way to the top. And I just think it does a really disservice um, to women. So that's my biggest criticism of it. No, I think that's um, fair. Um, Cause that, I mean, that is a really like boring trope. Um, I, yeah, I'll give it a little credit. It did try to make it a little more interesting than making it straightforward, but still it's, yeah. it's still too lazy. And then there are like those like really weird stuff. I think the problem is, is like, it is such a hyper-focused show, but then it has like these like really random storylines, like the storyline with like the former editor of like Zoe's paper and like he just kind of like goes off the rails, like, and it's not really like explained why. So I think- You're talking about Hammersmith? uh, Or- No, no, no. Or or Joe Lucas. Ben, Ben, Joe Lucas, the one who ends up like- The one in jail? Yeah, the one in jail. Like, I think that, like, it's such a B storyline that, like, I think anyone who hasn't seen the show multiple times, like, you're like, oh, like, oh, that guy's still, like, in this show. Yeah. I think they do a really bad job of maintaining those B storylines. They're as side by side to whatever's happening with Frank and Claire. And that's, like, my thing that I get kind of critical of is that, like, they don't do a good job of, like, wrapping up those storylines or maintaining them to the same level that Claire and Frank's storylines are. And I, there are some episodes where they do do that, but I think sometimes, or it's just like a slow build. I, it's, I don't know. It's not, no, it's B storylines I don't really care the for. The only part of that I disagree with you is that that is not the B storyline. That is the D storyline. Because my argument yeah, exactly. is there's, there's like three storylines going on at all times. There's Frank yeah. and Claire, there's Frank being president, and then there's weird Doug stuff. Like that, that is the three like continuous arcs of this thing. And the, the like weird Joe, you know, the weird other characters, those like D storylines, they end up popping up to only service those other three storylines. So like that reporter like came back in season, this most recent season, season four, so that he could try to assassinate Frank. Like that was the only reason he came back. Um, Exactly. And it just, and like, and this, that actor is on, um, uh, what is it, Madam Secretary? Yes. So like, so I just, I just don't under, I just have a problem with like how they don't properly tell those stories because yeah. like I think they just come up, pop up, like you said, like serve another story, which I think is like the point of them, but I don't think they do it in a very well in a in a good way. Yeah. Well, I'll be very interested to see what they do with Hammersmith, who is the reporter yeah, he's who's like he's... on the trail of Frank. Yeah, That's which gonna he, be fun. which is very interesting. Yeah. Um and I I haven't seen the trailer for the new season it's yet good. and I don't know when it's there. Uh, when is it coming on Netflix? Uh May 30th. Okay. So. Okay. So I have time. Netflix, give us money. We're advertising your show. Um, yeah. Uh, but speaking of a show that's currently on, I think we, we have exhausted House of Cards, so we need to get to to Veep. Um, so I, I took House of Cards. Do you do you want to start us off on Veep? Yeah, sure. So Veep is a storyline. Um, it's a based. It's on HBO. Um, it's a comedy version of these. So we have the like very the drama of West Wing and then we have the like very hyper drama and then we have like a show that like just makes fun of politics and I think it's such a good like it's such a smart comedy and it's also very funny so I think it does a really good job of blending that and um what's what's, it's Serena right that's her name Selena yeah she she, the things she says on that show are so outlandish but the thing is is like you know that like they're probably saying shit like that mm-hmm. in their offices yeah when they're like not on camera to their staffers and so 
I think that is really, really funny. Yeah. What I love about the show and sort of to contrast the two shows we've talked about, like everybody wants to have politics be the West Wing and they want to be in the West Wing. Everyone's a little bit worried that politics is actually House of Cards. But in reality, it's Veep, where it's yeah, a bunch that's of what people. that's what everyone says. It's a bunch of people who really have no idea what they're doing that are constantly, like, in these territorial feuds with each other. And, like, everyone just has, like, really personal, you know, strange ambitions because... What makes the show so funny when it starts out, for those of you who haven't seen it, and I highly suggest you do, is, like, Selena, like, starts off as, like, a pretty much completely ignored VP, and that she's, like, constantly trying to get in touch with the president, and he never includes her in anything, and I actually think you you never see the president. Like, I think they pull the, um, you know, the original idea of the West Wing that, like, I can't remember. Maybe you see him like once or twice, but like you rarely see the president. Um, And then she eventually, spoilers, spoilers, she becomes president and even more spoilers, she loses re-election like in this (laughs) insane, insane saga. And so just like that whole arc is hilarious to me because um, I'm going to swear this is going to be my last House of Cards thing. Uh, I, I, I would really like House of Cards to end with Frank losing the presidency in some way, shape, or form, and then have two episodes or so where he has to deal with the aftermath of that because no show that I know about politics actually takes the time to deal with the after. Um, so I have not watched the new season of Veep yet, but I am so excited by the fact that she is out of politics and like has to deal with that because no show ever really does do that um and that's exciting for me and i'm really happy they took that choice because that's such a bold move um so i'm really excited to see that um what i think the thing that's great too about veep is that it shows you sort of like how much of politics is a game yes like it's just things like oh well like in there like in, in the first season they like they have to pick what frozen yogurt yes. flavor she's going to eat because if she eats a certain kind of flavor it's gonna alienate something and it's just like kind of shows like the ridiculous things that like people in politics like get paid to do because like when people like there's always this idea like during election season everyone's stupid and there's like that trope and veep sort of like takes that and runs with it which i really enjoy and so like you have all these moments where they are trying to do things because like it's going to be in a kind of in the perception comment you made earlier it's going to be perceived a certain way and how she's portrayed on camera is very different from how she actually is and so um the frozen yogurt episode is just like a really good little microcosm of just how ridiculous politics is yes that episode is a true standout my favorite part of this is the fact that they actually put all the flavors up on a dry erase board and like argue for each and every one of them of why it's not a good idea yeah and so that i really love about the show what i also like about it is that um there's a couple truths that i think are in that show that aren't really in any of the other shows as much there's elements of it but not as much whereas the politicians in that show would all be completely lost without their staffs like that is like that is the institutional knowledge that is every single one of them would just be completely lost without their staffs and it's just so absurd and like i was saying earlier 
I think it's in response to what we've seen in our government and it being insanely gridlocked and nothing getting done and everybody being super unhappy with what's going on. It just kind of leans into what we see on TV and that is people being absurd and, you know, like just weird things happening and these odd situations occurring and kind of trying to peel back the curtain a little bit to see you know, the other 90%, because we only see the 10% that gets televised or in the news. Right. So it's just interesting to me with how well they do that with that show while also, like, keeping it being, like, really, really funny. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I remember, I think it was last season, like, they had a great episode where the staff went to basically like Google. It wasn't Google, but it was like supposed to be like Google or Facebook, mm-hmm. one of those big tech companies. And just like the brutal satire that they did of Silicon Valley culture was just as good as the political satire they were doing. And just what I think Veep does really well is just highlight repeatedly how insanely out of touch everybody is because like no one cares about anything except getting a win basically yeah which it's so weird because out of the three shows we've brought up selena is the closest to trump like hands down no debate she is the closest because she is completely out of touch. She's kind of like obsessed with herself. She's obsessed with herself. She's obsessed with wins. And like she's more obsessed with being the first woman president than anything else, than like Anyone. any accomplishment <laughs> she would do. And then the other thing is the fact that the uh, character played by Tony Hale, whose name is just like slipping from me right now, who plays like her bag man, is just like. <laughs> great like he's amazing in that show but it also just like shows how insanely out of touch she is that like she needs someone that like give her like a hand lotion and to tell her who like everybody is around her and it's just like she seems just so incredibly aloof um even to the staff yeah like, she like, doesn't know her staff um and she seems to like o- like, seems like to openly care about her at times yeah um it's just i don't know it's just like really funny because i think it kind of like shows like what people talk about behind closed doors um and yeah it's just like really interesting i mean they're all three of them are very good shows for what they serve their purpose for right and the the other thing i'm I'm real i was really impressed with veep with is they set up hugh laurie's character better than I think any other show that I've seen that introduces a character because, um, as a refresher, so like Hugh Laurie plays, I think a singer, um, and he used to, um, work, uh, I'm sorry, her chief of staff used to work with him. And so for like two episodes before he even shows up, she keeps name dropping him and being like, you know who we should get? We should get whoever Hugh Laurie's character is. And like, they just sort of like keep bringing it up and they argue about it and like, no, we shouldn't bring him. And then they just have him like pop out of an elevator and just, you know, like be this insanely charismatic, really funny, like, like arguably the only competent character that we've run into in the entire show. And what I find so funny about that is I think that actually does a really good job of like highlighting what it's like when there is somebody that kind of knows what's going on in politics. Because in my experience with like local politics and like working at the state house um, in Georgia, like 
it's obvious who those people are. Like, it's really obvious that there's a lot of people who are sort of just like fumbling the ball and sort of got there because no one else ran against them or they got there because they've been in the position for so long and now they're really aloof and out of touch. But like, there's a, there's a couple people who like really know what they're doing and like really get talked about a lot. And like, that's who his character is. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I just really appreciated how they they did that well of course he's still like completely absurd and like gets into a lot of <laughs> you know interesting situations um but he ultimately knows how he he is ultimately like more competent yeah than and like he starts in the show which is like a nice refresher right and he starts overshadowing her which i find is really interesting because that is something that happens in politics a lot you know where people that you think um are going to you know, be the main one, end up getting overshadowed, you know, I mean, like, even, like, Trump with Steve Banning, or George W. Bush with Dick Cheney, like, that, you know, happened a lot, and, you know, that never really happened with, like, uh, Obama and Biden, but, like, it's a very familiar thing that, for whatever reason, certain people end up overshadowing they're, uh, you know, the person that you would think would be getting all the spotlight and <laughs> her inability to deal with that <laughs> was, was pretty funny as well. Um, but all in all, I think it's, it's interesting that out of these three shows, this is the one that feels like it hits closest to home. The one that like says none of this matters. It's all absurd and nobody's really fighting for an aspirational view of the country. They're just sort of trying to get some wins in and hold on to their status with no real consequence, I think is, is a very interesting perception. And it's uh, funny to me that the show is as popular as it is uh, with that setup. Um, Cause it's also a pretty dense show. You know, it, it, yeah, it does, it, it does have its moments where it really goes into pretty like really fleshed out wonky elements of politics. So I found that pretty interesting too, especially in this last season about how the election turns out, like goes, <laughs> it goes pretty, pretty deep into how elections, uh, work in the United States. If you have a tie, <laughs> which <Yeah. laughs> was just amazing. Oh, it's very yeah, I think Veep is just like a nice refresher to the other shows we just discussed. Um, and it's also like nice because it's like 30 minutes. It's a nice little nugget. Yes. Um, and um, I mean, some of the things that she says are just so absurd. Um, well, I, the, other th- so, the other thing that's funny about her, though, it's not even just what she says. Like literally like the way she inhabits physical space is hilarious in that. Like, the yeah. way she will, like, take off her shoes or, like, yell at somebody. <laughs> like, it's just, like, everything about it is funny. And it's not even just, just um, you know, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus. I mean, pretty much all of the actors in that show are physically pretty funny as well. Yes. Not just, uh, you know, the, the lines that they have are, are funny. So that that's um, pretty impressive uh, to me. And, oh, man. Jonah, Jonah in that show. <laughs> there, we could do a so whole good. episode on him. He is just yeah. so absurd. Ugh, yeah, we could, but yeah. we probably shouldn't. We probably shouldn't, <laughs> and probably like to stop us from doing that. I think we should probably end on that note. And if you don't know who Jonah <laughs> Ryan is, just like YouTube him. It will be worth it. Um, True, because his character is. 
I hate to say this, but like sort of in the way that you enjoy Doug Stamper, I enjoy him because like, I would not like that show nearly as much without him because he's so easy to hate. And every time he's in a scene, it's all I can think about is how much I hate him. It's a good character. Well, like the thing about like Jonah kind of like caveat, like Jonah is like emblematic of like, within the first season, which is the one I've seen the most of like, DC people who really like to name drop who yes. they work for yes. and like what they're doing. I'm just like, shut up. Like no one cares. And so like Jonah is like emblematic of like every, like it was just like kind of like uppity preppy kid who comes to DC who like has like the lowest position ever on in a Senate like staffers campaign or whatever and things that they like are like cool as shit. Yes. <laughs> so Jonah is like, uh, he's someone like you really love to hate because like I deal with this like all the time living in DC. Yeah. For people that like work in politics, Jonah is like the, you know, the one easiest you know character to like hate because he's just so emblematic of exactly what you said. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, but uh, I think on that note, we're going to wrap up the first ever uh, television show of uh, Peach Pod. But yeah, it's my third time on. Yeah, you need to you need to continue to be a friend of the pod. But as we do with the normal show, we're going to do an end note. And the end note is out of the other political shows we did not mention, which is the best and which is the worst. So I'm thinking like Designated Survivor, Alpha House, Madam Secretary, The Good Wife, mm. which I haven't seen. Uh, I've heard that's very, well, very good, Well, The Good Wife though. is more about like a lawyer, I think. Right, okay. But it also has politics in it. Okay. Um. Well, there's the British version of House of Cards, right, which, which is pretty good. It's, yeah, it's very good. I love that. Um, but... Um, Oh, I don't know. Those are the only three political shows I've watched. I've seen Madam Secretary because my mother's obsessed with okay. it. Um, so it does a pretty good job. I like the relationship between um, uh, her character and her husband's character. I think they are, it's sort of like a, if you've ever seen Friday Night Lights, it's sort of like a Coach Taylor, Tammy Taylor type of thing. Like they're both just like really great characters to watch. Yeah. Um. But I don't really know any other political television besides that. Okay. I just like that's that's all I stick with. I don't know about yeah. you. Well, no, I, I've seen all the shows I mentioned besides The Good Wife. So Alpha House was great. So Alpha House was sort of uh, it was Amazon show. It was right? Amazon show. It was very much like Veep, uh, except it followed uh, four singers pretty closely, and it was very absurd and crazy. And a lot of other people that I've heard have watched it say it's a lot like Veep in the sense that it feels the most real. Um, and basically the, you know, four main characters are four singers that live together and just are kind of like bumbling through, uh, their careers. And so that's pretty funny. Does any survivor is like my favorite show to hate and love at the same time because <laughs> it's really, really absurd. Uh, Keith Sutherland ends up being the designated survivor because uh, Congress gets blown up. And so oh, he's, right. yeah, and so like he's like trying to like deal with that and he's just completely over his head. Um, so that's been an interesting show for sure. Um, but it's it's got the horrible TV cliche of like, let's put in family drama for no reason, which I, I could not stand. Um, and that, mm-hmm. you know, make his son sell drugs for no reason. 
that sort oh, of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that that gives me negative marks on it. Um, and then I, I forgot what the other one was. Madam Secretary. Oh, Madam Secretary. Yeah, you you talked about it. That's why I forgot about it. I've only seen <laughs> like half of the first season of that one, and I did not hate it. So yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, I think it, it hyper. It's it seems like a popcorn show. Yeah, but like my mom likes it a lot, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, it's been on for like three or four seasons, so you know, and it's so like there's something to be said about a show that deals with foreign policy and a secretary of state on a on network TV that it's still seated along. Yeah, so well, it's, may- and it has a pretty diverse cast too, which I enjoy. Yeah, well, maybe uh, we need to all watch Designated Survivor, Alpha House, and Madam Secretary, <laughs> and come back and do this again. Oh, jeez, um, <laughs> okay, that's a lot of TV to watch. Yes, all the TV. Um, anyway. With that, I think uh, we we are going to end the show. Thank you for being on. Please You're come welcome. back. Uh, and, you know, everybody leave hate mail and comments and let us know what you thought of this show, if we should do something like this again. Awesome. Have a good uh, week, everyone. Yeah. Bye, folks. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, you can share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. It really helps other people find our show. Our interns this week are Alana Pierce and Courtney Clark, and we will talk to you next week. Take care, y'all.